0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Voices of Forestry podcast. I'm your host Seth Stevenson the communications coordinator with the Arkansas Forestry Association and today I'm joined by reforestation advisor Greg Hay with Arborgen. We're here to talk today about herbicide use and uh, Greg thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you coming into the office.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So your title is reforestation advisor, but you've done extensive work with herbicide during your career. So if you could, Greg, give us just a quick rundown of uh, of
1: who you are. I've uh, been working with herbicide since about 1978, Seth. My degree is in forest management from Stephen F. Austin State University. I went to work for Warehouser Company for about a year in their logging and inventory departments, and then accepted a position with the U.S. Forest Service on the Washtenaw National Forest, went back to Clemson, Mississippi State, and West Virginia Universities in a graded curricula to attain a uh, certified silviculturist credential, and began working with herbicides pretty extensively with the U.S. Forest Service. Was with them for about 10 years, writing uh, environmental assessments, environmental management plans, preparing compartment prescriptions for them. I transitioned, after about 10 years with the U.S. Forest Service, into sales, of all things, <laughs> selling herbicides, using my silvicultural background to uh, be successful in that uh, venture. Uh, moved up uh, in that uh, small distribution company, herbicide distribution company, managing seven salespeople and two warehouses. Was with that company for about 14 years, then was lured to South Carolina by a forest technology group, where I... Was director of sales uh, selling high-end consulting services as well as a web-based gis platform that company folded in about two years and i went to work for another company based out of canada that allowed me to return to arkansas selling cloned loblolly pine trees for about seven years it was also a new venture company and it folded and i went back to work for a herbicide distributor my former employer Timberland Enterprises had sold the company a couple of times, and it became Timberland Enterprises, UAP, became uh, Crop Production Services, and then it was uh, Nutrient Solutions. And from uh, Nutrient Solutions, uh, I uh, took an opportunity to get back into genetics, and I'm now a reforestation advisor with ArborGen here in Arkansas.
0: Okay, so we uh, if these credentials don't convince you folks uh, Greg knows what he's talking about when it comes to herbicides for sure um, so Greg I guess what I want to do now before we move any further is just to find what exactly a herbicide is we're not we are not talking about pesticides I, I made that mistake when I was writing up the questions and Max Max uh, quickly corrected me um, but this is a this is herbicide so what exactly is a herbicide Okay,
1: a herbicide is a category of pesticide. Okay. Pesticides encompass a wide umbrella of pesticides that include rodenticides, pneumaticides, uh, insecticides, and herbicides. All of these products are designed to control pests. Uh, If it's a rodenticide, then it's to control the pest of rodents. If it's an insecticide, it's to control insects. With herbicides, what we're trying to do is control woody vegetation, uh, as well as uh, broadleafed weeds and grasses. So that's what herbicides are. They're a chemical product used to control weeds, grasses, and woody vegetation.
0: Okay. All right. So we're just talking about a very specific set of pesticide here, but specifically pet herbicide. I almost did it again. Jeez, herbicide is what we're we're here to specifically talk about. So, Greg, you mentioned that these are these are a chemical. Used uh, to apply to a piece of land. Uh, what type of background or skill, professional skill set, do you have to have to even apply a herbicide?
1: If you're applying them on your own land, you really don't need any uh, licenses okay. to uh, apply them or buy them on your own land. For the most part, there are some herbicides that are restricted use herbicides. For those products, you will need a restricted use license. Issued by the Plant Industries Division of the Department of Agriculture here in Arkansas.
0: So, what's most commonly used? Like, if, if, as a forest landowner, what's most commonly used? Is it just a the general uh, herbicide?
1: Probably the most common herbicide used uh, is uh, glyphosate, okay. Which is, uh, in terms of a product name that everybody's familiar with, Roundup. Oh, okay. All right. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that one, that one I am most definitely familiar with. So Another herbicide that is used commonly in forest industry as forest landowners is a Masapir, uh commonly referred to as a product name, Arsenal Applicators Concentrate. Uh, it may be uh, also uh, another other products that are, have brand names. Uh, Polaris is one, mm-hmm. but the Arsenal is probably the most common.
0: Okay. All right. So now when we talk about applying these various herbicides. Um, Roundup, I mean, obviously you can go grab some of that at the the store. You've got, you know, the jug and you can go around and spray that. Is that normal for a typical tree farm owner? Do they just kind of grab some stuff at the store and spray it around? Or is there, I guess, what does the process look like for establishing or adding
1: a herbicide to your tree farm? Good question. Seth, uh, most tree farms start off with a area that has been uh, either Harvested from a previous stand of timber, Mm -hmm. or they're converting a perhaps a pasture or a crop field into a stand of timber. In order to do that, you have to prepare that site for planting, and you've got one chance to get it right. What you do on that stand is going to be with you for the next 25 years, so it's incredibly important to do an excellent job of preparing that site for tree planting. Uh, Herbicides. Uh, The benefits of those are that they're more economical than mechanical methods of the past. Mm -hmm. uh, Shear and rake, chopping, uh, those are things that were done mechanically to prepare a site uh, 30 years ago. And back in the uh, late 80s, it really transitioned uh, from mechanical site preparation to herbicide site preparation because it's more economical than mechanical methods, provides little or no physical disturbance of the ground. There's a variety of application methods available when you're applying herbicides. They're relatively quick and fast, depending on the application method chosen compared to mechanical. And they can offer, herbicides can offer wildlife forage and habitat enhancement. And they do offer uh, somewhat of an ease of application compared to mechanical methods. So we begin with site preparation. And let me uh, yeah, address yeah, ahead, your, your question. Where do they get these herbicides? Yes, yes. They generally... Uh, Get these herbicides from farm co-op stores or herbicide distributors that specialize in uh, distribution of herbicides for the forestry market. Uh, Nutrient Solutions is one of those. Red River Specialties is another one. But most of your farm co-op stores also carry uh, some of these products as well because they're used in the ag industry as in addition to forestry.
0: So when we're using, when a tree farmer is using a herbicide what exactly is the main goal of using that herbicide? Is it just to get rid of certain, certain plants or certain weeds that are on the ground that could potentially harm their overall
1: product? Exactly. What you're trying to do is control the competition out there for your pine crop. So you're trying to uh, basically remove your woody competition that's competing for water and nutrients with your crop. Let's say it's a, a pine tree crop. The other thing you're trying to do is convert the herbaceous material out there from grasses and weeds to basically broadleaf weeds, if you can do it. The reason for that is that grasses use more water and nutrients than broadleaf annual plants do.
0: So this kind of goes back to uh, a previous podcast that we did on invasive species. This This isn't necessarily an invasive, but it is competition for the trees that you are growing, which could... Uh, could hamper your product in the long run
1: absolutely just as you when you have a garden you don't tolerate those weeds in your garden well if you've got a uh, crop of pine trees you don't want to tolerate weeds in that pine stand you want to remove that woody competition because it severely restricts the water and nutrients available to your crop trees
0: so it's just a much bigger garden. <laughs> a much larger bigger garden,
1: garden with a much longer rotation.
0: <laughs> yeah, that one uh it takes a little bit longer to get the fruits of your labor. Now, one term that I have heard, Greg, and maybe you can shed some light on it for us is is herbaceous weed control. This is something we kind of talked a little bit about it before we started recording, but this is something that you have to take into account. It's a common practice when you do decide to apply a herbicide, correct?
1: That's correct. Uh with site preparation, you have two primary objectives. Eliminate the woody competition and convert your herbaceous to uh, primarily broadleaves. Now, with herbaceous weed control, we're talking about controlling the weeds and the grasses. Thirty years ago, foresters were primarily concerned with their woody competition. They didn't; they just basically disregarded uh, or neglected uh, the importance of those weeds and the grasses and the competition that they played for water and nutrients in their pine stands. That's not so anymore. Uh, Right now, if you plant pine trees or if you plant hardwoods, herbaceous weed control is a standard practice, standard operating procedure. Okay. So
0: when we talk about herbaceous weed control, I, I guess one question that I have is, is there a wildlife element to it. And, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, by adding a herbicide, are you also trying to protect the wildlife or make a better environment for wildlife on your farm?
1: That's an excellent question. Let me back up a little bit yeah. on herbaceous weed control. For sure. As I said, it's a standard operating procedure now, and it does offer the biggest bang for your buck in terms of return on investment. In droughty conditions, herbaceous weed control uh, basically can save your stand. It can keep you from having to replant. There's a 20% average increase in survival for western gulf areas uh, when you do herbaceous weed control. And Studies indicate that it has the greatest impact on early growth of pines of any treatment except uh, for phosphorus on phosphorus deficient sites. So it increases your yields to the first thin. Uh, With regards to Wildlife habitat improvement. There are some products uh, that can improve your uh, habitat by increasing the amount of species that are beneficial to wildlife on that site. Uh, arsenal, in other words, uh, the active ingredient in arsenal is a mazapir. A uh does not control legumes, and legumes are very fish, uh, beneficial in nutrient content to wildlife. So when you're using Arsenal, you're not controlling the legumes. Uh, It doesn't uh, impact any of the uh, blackberry or rubus species. Again, another species that's highly beneficial to wildlife. So you take a look at, well, what are my objectives? What are the landowner's objectives out here uh, in his stand? Mm -hmm. If wildlife improvement or wildlife habitat improvement is one of those, then you can select products that are beneficial and will help promote or proliferate those species that are beneficial to wildlife in terms of forage like herbs and uh, legumes.
0: So that's something interesting that I hadn't thought about yet, but no, her- no one herbicide is the same as another herbicide. There's a little bit of research that needs to go into what exactly works best for your plan for your property, correct?
1: That's correct. And with herbicides uh, in terms of wildlife, you can top kill, which allows for succulent resprouts, It provides free-to-grow conditions for forbs, legumes, sedges, and grasses, and broadleaf weeds. Some products allow species beneficial to wildlife to proliferate. Uh, You produce uh, dead-standing snags when you're using herbicides, and those are good for habitat for cavity nesters. And uh, a herbicide treatment generally provides just temporary vegetation control. It is not a soil sterilant. So when you use herbicides it's temporary. Something's going to come in to replace it. You're not going to denude that soil forever and ever. It's not a soil sterilant like you see used on uh, electrical substations where you see bare ground. Mm -hmm. These are not bare ground products. They do have a uh, a lifespan on them, and uh, it's very short, generally speaking.
0: Well, and that kind of brings me to my next question, Greg. Are there any other maybe misconceptions about the use of herbicide on a piece of property. I mean, you know, we said this was a chemical and there is some, a bit of a stigma by applying chemical to a natural area. But are there any other misconceptions about herbicide use?
1: I think the, the thing to keep in mind when you're using herbicides, number one, is that you're basically renewing that environment. Uh, secondly, uh, the biggest misconception is in using herbicides is that if a little bit's good, a little more is better. That's not the case with herbicides. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) With herbicides, a little more can be devastating, Mm -hmm. either to your crop or to the environment. So it's very important that you follow the label. Uh, The label has undergone extensive research to get it uh, approved and uh, labeled by the Environmental Protection Agency. And the label is the law. If you don't follow the label, uh, you, you're you basically uh, providing for an illegal application practice. Mm,
0: okay, okay. So that's another thing I want to kind of touch on, too, is that these products, when used correctly and used in the correct amounts, are by no means designed to hurt the trees that you're trying to grow on your property.
1: That's correct. You have to pay attention to uh, the label because the label will specifically direct you as to the rate. mm mm-hmm. To apply, and it'll also direct you for the rate to apply to a specific species, whether it's, uh, if you're talking pines, there are specific instructions for slash, longleaf, loblolly, shortleaf, virginia pine. They're all addressed on that label. Okay. Uh, And that's why it's important to read that label. And if you're not familiar, and most landowners are not familiar with herbicides, it's important to uh, get a consultant or a herbicide distributor that can provide an expert in advising them on what to use, when to use it, and how to use it. So it's not just the product and the rate, but you also got to look at the timing as well as the species. There are many factors that apply to a proper herbicide prescription on attractive land.
0: Okay, well, You're just lining me up here because we're, we're, we're knocking out some of these questions that I had, but it, that does bring me to to kind of what I was wanting to discuss next was, you know, as— a landowner hypothetically me being a landowner where would i need to start so it is with a consultant or or a herbicide expert
1: correct uh there are a lot of uh, resources available the uh, cooperative extension service has some online uh information that's available to them that they can go through there and basically select through a dichotomous key uh, what they're trying to do in terms of their objective but it addresses all the factors That would affect a prescription, your crop, your target species, the soils, uh, your objectives, the application method, burnability, topography, rates, uh, sensitive sites, timing, the various products that could be applied, uh, whether you've got multiple overstories or just one overstory, no overstory, uh, the volume, and uh, the drainability. So many different factors Mm -hmm. that are all interrelated when you're using herbicides.
0: And that's, I guess, one thing that we kind of want to stress here is that when applying, when wanting to apply these herbicides, it's not as simple as just going to the store, grabbing something, going out to your tree farm and start spraying. There there, there are many things to look at, research that needs to be conducted, experts that need to be talked to, uh, to make sure you get it right and do it right. Now, with all of this being said, are there any safety precautions that come, since this is a chemical, is there is are there are, are there safety precautions that landowners have to take while applying
1: this to their land absolutely again that goes back to the label the label will address any personal protective equipment that's required uh, in addition to the label there is also information on a safety data sheet an sds for each product used but uh, the label will address any personal protective equipment required uh, whether it's uh, long sleeve shirts and pants uh chemically resistant gloves uh any eyewear that might be required for the most part the products used in forestry do not require any uh respirators so uh we're very fortunate that most of the products we use are uh, very safe Mm -hmm. Uh, it goes back to uh, what makes a poison the dose makes the poison Uh, if you drink enough water you can drown yeah so uh with regards to uh the safety aspects the label again will address all of those aspects and when it comes to herbicides if you go to a distributor that specializes in forestry herbicides uh, they will have somebody that can really direct you easily as to what products to apply i do recommend that that individual visit your site before he makes any recommendations I tried to, as much as possible, avoid telephone prescriptions
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, because what people tell you is out there on the site often varies from what's actually out there. They don't need to mislead you. It's just that they may have forgotten or neglected to mention something that could be incredibly important to your prescription Mm -hmm. if you don't visit the site itself.
0: And like you said earlier, you've got one shot at this. And if you, you goof it up, You're in trouble. Yeah. What you do at the (laughs) beginning
1: is going to affect that stand for the next 25 years. And you have more options and opportunities available at site preparation before you plant than after you plant. Once you plant those trees, then your options are severely restricted. Okay. Because there's very few products that you can apply over the top of your crop trees without injuring them to control your competition. Whereas before you plant, you've got a wide array of options available to you. After you plant, they are severely narrowed, very restricted. Okay, so it's probably best to start
0: thinking about and trying to get some of this stuff, I guess I guess, at least start thinking about and having
1: discussions early than it is later. Absolutely, and, and that goes back to having a good management plan mm-hmm. for that tract of land that you're going to uh uh reinforced and oh. establish a stand-on.
0: Okay. Well, folks, if there's anything you take from this month's episode, I guess the big thing is read the dang label on whatever you're using because um, that's going to be pretty key to making sure that what you're applying doesn't potentially harm your product or your, or your land. Um, Greg, before we start wrapping up here, one other thing that I want to talk about, if you don't mind. You mentioned there were kind of outdated mechanical uses or ways to control unwanted plants, but are there any, is there anything else besides herbicide and mechanical, or is it pretty much just those two?
1: Typically, uh, in the past, one of the uh, most com- economical methods of site preparation is the old brown and burn method. Okay. And by that, I mean you brown it with herbicides, mm-hmm. the vegetation, and then you follow that with a burn. I can give you 16 reasons not to burn. <laughs> okay. I can give you one good reason to burn, and that is planter access. If you've got enough residual material left out there after harvesting that's preventing good planter access, you're definitely going to want to get rid of that, and burning is a very uh, economical way to do that. But in order to burn, you want to have that vegetation browned out to enhance a fire walking through that stand very quickly and and get you an appropriate burn that's going to consume that residual material that's blocking the way of tree planters, and that's an important point. One of the first questions that that will be asked of a landowner is, do you plan on burning this tract? Mm-hmm. Because if you plan on burning it, then that prescriber is going to add something to a mix, a tank mix, to brown out the vegetation. And what you want to brown out is your light, flashy fuels that carry the fire. Okay. Okay.
0: Now. This kind of brings up something because we've talked about prescribed fire in the past, but when we talk about herbicide, is this usually strictly for a site prep before you plant, or or do you apply herbicide you know ten years down the line when you've already planted and you 've got trees coming out of the ground?:
1: An excellent question. There are basically three times that you use herbicides. One is for site preparation. Okay. Okay. The second one is for herbaceous weed control, either before you plant or immediately after you plant. And the third is for release, where you're trying to release a stand from competition. Uh, Release is done uh, at two different times. One would be a juvenile release, let's say three or four years old, Mm -hmm. where you've got uh, hardwoods that are encroaching on a pine stand, and you want to remove those hardwoods. Uh, The second time that it's done is generally at uh, mid-rotation release, where you've done a uh, thinning on a stand of pine and you want to control that woody vegetation that's come in, maybe some of the vines too. Mm -hmm. So it's done at that time as well, and that's usually at age 12, 15 years old.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, Greg, uh, I think that's pretty much everything we kind of wanted to talk to you about. Is there anything else that you want to mention before we start uh, wrapping things up here?
1: Uh, One thing to mention would be that most consultants uh, have not had any training in herbicides, and knowing that, they call upon those herbicide distributors that have advisors to provide them the advice, the expert advice on what products to use. Okay. Uh, the other thing I would would caution uh, landowners on is to uh, be sure that they have an objective for using that herbicide and know what that objective is and communicate that objective to the consultants that they're using.
0: So it all kind of goes back to the management plan. We we've talked about that a lot here on this show, but you know, knowing what you want to accomplish. Is half the battle.
1: Absolutely. Uh, okay.
0: All right. Well, Greg, thank you again for joining us. We appreciate your knowledge and your expertise on this. Um, and we, you know, I'm sure we're going to have Greg back because I'm sure there are a lot of different things we can talk about when it comes to herbicide use. Uh, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. So Absolutely.
1: We can specifically get into the site preparation, mm-hmm. herbaceous weed control, and release at another time.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. We thank you for having it. me. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, we want to give a shout-out to Rob McCormick slash Some Guy Named Rob for the use of our theme song, The Same Love. That's off of his album, The Folkster. You can find more of his music on Spotify, and we've got a link to his website in the description of this episode as well. And if you want more information on the Arkansas 4 forestry association you can visit arcforest.org. that's a-r-k-f-o-r-e-s-t-s dot org thank you again for joining us and make sure you come back next month when we'll have a new topic a new discussion and a new voice of forestry